What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you get all of our new podcasts, articles, news and notes, polls, every bit of fantasy baseball content that we do have in the sports ethos world. We share it out at Ethos Fantasy BB, so make sure you guys are following us over there. If you're not somebody who uses social media, sportsethos.com is the place for you guys to be heading to. Get all of our content across all four major sports. We do have gambling stuff. We do have DFS and also specific team coverage across a lot of uh, basketball teams and also some MLB teams as well. Going to be trying to expand that this year, and I'll mention as a side note now, if you're interested in kind of coming aboard our team and hosting a team podcast, we have the Mariners and the Braves right now, and the Dodgers are already taken. I'll probably do some Blue Jays content over the next year or so as well. But outside of those teams, there are 26 other ones that you guys can choose from if you are interested in being not necessarily like a beat writer type, but just somebody who is going to talk about the team a couple times a week in podcast form. Maybe you want to do some written content as well. There are a variety of teams and there are a variety of positions here that we are looking to fill. So reach out to me again at JoeOrico99. If that does sound interesting to you, I'm going to be sending out some tweets over the next couple of weeks as well, just seeing what the interest is of bringing people aboard for writing positions, for podcasting, for some YouTube content as well. Uh, reach out and we can have a conversation there. But today we're going to conclude our relief pitcher reviews. This will be the final time we talk about relievers until we really get cooking again. Come February, probably, we'll we'll start talking about them again. We'll bring on uh, guys like Greg Jewett and Mike Carter, guys who are good friends of mine in the industry who focus on relievers. We're going to talk to them and get their input a little bit later on in the offseason about 2024 outlook. But we're going to conclude our reviews and talk about what happened in 2023 while also looking ahead to 2024 a little bit. If you guys have been following along in these review shows, you generally know how it works by now. We're going through the Yahoo Player Ranker. We went through the top 20 in the first two shows, 1 through 10, 11 through 20. Now today we're talking about guys in no specific order uh, for the third edition. We are just going to talk about some guys who are very interesting names for one reason or another. A lot of closers who didn't quite finish in that top 20 ranking but guys who are still going to be very interesting for 2024. So we're going to get it going with Paul Seawald. Paul Seawald, because of the way that Yahoo's rankings work, was not a top 20 closer, or not a top 20 reliever, I should say. If you're looking at some various rankings like Razball, he might have been a top 20 guy, and we have referenced Razball on here as well. But I think that the general community is more familiar with Yahoo, and that's why we're going to use their rankings. And you know, regardless of where he actually finished in terms of total ranking, and for Paul Seawald, that was 102nd uh, in the whole player pool, 102nd overall according to their metrics. He had three wins, he had 34 saves, he had a 3.12 ERA, a 1.15 WHIP, and over his 60.2 innings pitch, 60 and two thirds, uh, he gave you 80 strikeouts on the season, split between Seattle and Arizona. It was a great season for Paul Seawald. He was the primary closer for the last couple of years in Seattle as well, more so in 2022. Uh, in 2021, he had 11 saves than last year. It was 20 saves where there was also Andres Munoz getting a couple, and it, it was shared around a little bit, but Seawald was the guy. 2023 heading into the year was, I don't know, I was a little bit worried about what the workload was going to look like for Seawald versus Andres Munoz. Now, Munoz did miss a good part of the year uh, with injury. He missed a good part of the start of the year anyway. He did come back, and he was eventually uh, there for them, and he did take over the closer role once Seawald was traded. But heading into last year, it was very tricky to figure out who was going to be getting the bulk of the role because, I mean, I think Munoz is a better pitcher just skill-wise 
But Seawald is no slouch himself. He showed it last year with a 267 ERA, the year prior with a 306 ERA. Very good strikeout numbers, not terrible walk numbers as well for a high leverage type of reliever, under 10% walk rate. Really solid numbers from him. And he was the one that ended up getting the lion's share of the role. So Paul Seawald, I, I don't think that there's that much of a concern heading into next year. I think that he is going to be the guy. If there is going to be any kind of concern for me, it's because of the age with him. He's not the youngest guy in the world anymore. Uh, he is, at this point, 33. He's going to be 34 years old heading into next year. It doesn't preclude him from still being valuable, of course. He can still absolutely do that. But as you get older, uh, you know, it does kind of become a little bit harder to reach the same level of velocity that you have been reaching when you're younger. I mean, that's just kind of an obvious point. He's not somebody that does rely on, you know, that crazy speed. But that could also be a problem, right? Like, he's not somebody who's going to be, you know, as he gets older, going from, you know, let's say you're a, a Felix Batista type or one of those guys who throws 100 miles an hour, John Duran. As you get older, those hundreds will turn into like 97s and 96s. For a guy like Seawald, those 92s or 93s are going to start to turn into like 90, 91. And you can still get by because fastball, like he does use it a lot, but he also uses a lot of sliders. So he can get by. I'm just not 100% sold that as he gets older, he is going to age so gracefully. So I still think he's a really solid investment for next season. He's still somebody that you can probably rely on for like close to 30 saves kind of territory. But I also don't think that it's necessarily like set in stone that he is going to be a stud closer again. And we, we've seen that for the last couple of seasons, and I could be way off base here. I just kind of worry about these guys once they start to reach the wrong side of 30. And he's well beyond the wrong side of 30 at this point, right? He's going to be 34 next year. I, I, I might be just overblowing the age thing, but we also don't have like a long, long track record of closing for him. I, I think the wheels could potentially come off for him, and I'm not expecting it to. But I also don't think that he is like this foolproof asset, despite the fact that he has been really, really good these last three seasons. I'm still expecting a good 2024, but I mean, I think if you look at the projections, they're kind of in line with me. They think his ERA will jump up to close to four. They think the strikeout rate is going to come down from 32% to 27%. So it's not just me you know, being crazy here. I think as he does get older, you might see... Uh, you know, the skills deteriorate a little bit, which is kind of obvious. It's going to happen to everybody. I'm just worried that maybe it does happen this year. I, I really don't know when that cliff is going to be for a guy like Seawald. Uh, you know, 34 saves is not an unattainable number to get again, but it could just as easily be like 25, 26. If that strikeout rate does come down and you are getting less than 30 saves, then that's where he becomes not as great of an asset. Now, you're not paying up for him the way you are for some other closers this year. He's going, and we've mentioned this in the previous couple days, at 82 on the ADP scale. 60 is the minimum, 138 is the maximum for him. I don't have a problem with it there, again, because you're getting him as like probably the 10th or 12th closer off the board by ADP at that point, and you kind of need to secure some saves, especially, like we've talked about this, closers tend to go in runs, like pitchers in general. Once you see one go off the board, people will start to panic, especially early in the draft. You might just see a run where Romano goes and Diaz goes and Bednar goes and Iglesias goes, and then you, you know people are going to be taking Paul Seawald probably closer to like pick 70 than pick 82. 
that's where I'd kind of worry a little bit, and that's why you know we've talked about a lot of value options this season that I think can kind of replicate that early round value. You know, not necessarily early round, but it's it's early enough for Seawald at pick eighty two where I can consider that you know fairly early. There are guys that you can replicate those numbers with a little bit farther down the board. So I'm not going to be avoiding him necessarily. I'll probably have him in one or two leagues. In fact, I think I've drafted him once this year already. But it's not going to be a, a high-priority investment for me. If I happen to get him because I'm you know, I'm fearing of missing out on a lot of closers and it's getting to this point close to pick 100 where everybody has a closer and I don't and it's just Seawald sitting there, that kind of situation, I have no problem taking him. But I'm also not going to be pushing him up draft boards. I think that we could see him fall off, not a big cliff, but a, a a cliff regardless this season to some extent. And that might just be like a 3-6 ERA with 23 saves. It might not be terrible, but it also might not be worth the top 100 pick. And I don't think I'm necessarily willing to risk that on him uh, at this point in time. Now let's talk about another guy who there are definitely some risks associated with over the last couple of seasons. He has performed very well, but that hasn't come without a couple of uh, heart attacks along the way. And that is, of course, Ryan Presley. Ryan Presley is another guy who is not as young as you may think he is uh, at this point in time. He is going to be 35 years old in just actually tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow is his 35th birthday. So he is another guy who is not terribly young. He has a decent bit of mileage under the belt between his years in Minnesota and Houston. Now we're talking about a 10-year career. Relievers aren't going to build up as much you know, stress on that arm because of the fact that they're only throwing 60, 70 innings a year. But he is not a guy who has been able to be the most durable closer in the world. We have seen him miss uh, a bit of time in 2022. This year was a pretty healthy season for him. But he's also been a guy who's been kind of tricky to quantify for fantasy purposes, <clears throat> just in terms of the value. Because he never seems to be replicate or getting those you know requisite saves that you would think you would have for a guy pitching for a team that's you know going to win close to 100 games every year, 26, 33, and 31 each of the last three seasons, and that is also because there are times last year, year before, where they will go to other guys occasionally, and also Presley has missed time, but they got a very strong back end of the pen last year with Narice and Bobby, uh, Bobby Abreu and Brian Abreu. Bobby Abreu is on the mind because I'm seeing him constantly talked about in terms of these Hall of Fame conversations. I think he should probably be in, as a side note. But they had Brian Abreu and Hector Norris, who were also very sturdy at the back end there. They chipped away a couple saves apiece. Presley's not a guy that you can say, okay, he's pitching for arguably the best team in baseball. They're probably not the best team, but like you know, probably the best team in the American League. Um, worst, like a top five team in baseball. You're not necessarily going in and saying, well, Presley's going to get me 35 to 40 saves because of that. It hasn't been the case at all since the, in the time he has been the full-time closer for Houston, right? 33 and 31 are very good, but they're also not like necessarily what you'd probably be expecting just based on face value. The closer for this elite, elite team, you'd probably think, all right, 40 saves. You're getting 30, right? And that doesn't seem like it's a massive difference, but I think the perception of, of Ryan Presley is that he's going to be probably a lot better than he actually is. And this year... We actually saw the wheels start to come off a little bit for him. That strikeout rate, which had always been 30% plus in his time as a closer, fell down to 27.6%. The ERA went up to 3.58. That was the highest that we've seen from him ever in his time in Houston. The supporting metrics were very good, 336 FIP, 314 XFIP. But I think we're starting to see um, him get you know, past that quote-unquote prime a little bit. Now, he was still very good. Don't get me wrong. The Sierra was still 299. You're still talking about a 21% strikeout minus walk rate. But it's also definitely not as good as it was in the previous couple of years, right? That strikeout minus walk rate is the lowest it has been in his time in Houston. The whip was high 
you know, the highest it has been as well outside of the 2020 season. That's kind of you know hard to include. Highest whip we've seen for him going back to 2018. So there are some signs that he could be on the decline here. And the fact that I've kind of you know been worried a little bit about Abreu maybe taking more saves as time goes on. We talked about that yesterday a little bit, that he is a great handcuff. I don't know that Presley is a guy also that I really want to be heavily invested in this year. Similar, very similar situation to Paul Seawald. Now, I don't think Seawald has the guys coming up behind him. There's not as much of a, a talented leverage situation at the back end of Arizona's pen where there's like two or three guys where I think could take the job. Whereas with Presley, I think Abreu very realistically could take that job from him this season at some point. I, I think that you got to be kind of fading him where he's going. It's pretty much the exact same as, as Paul Seawald. It's actually kind of creepy. His ADP is 84 compared to Seawald's 82, but they have the exact same minimum pick of 60, and the maximum pick for Seawald, like we said, is 138. For Presley, it's 137. These guys are being viewed in the exact same light this year. I don't really have a massive preference. I think maybe I'd lean Seawald. He's a year younger. The skills are still pretty good. I mean, the projections are calling for more of a of a what's the word? More of a regression from Paul Seawald than they are from Presley, but I think he's probably in a little bit of a safer situation in Arizona than Presley is. I, I think the Presley's still probably fine, probably got one more year in him as the closer, but I also wouldn't be shocked at all if it's you know a month and a half into the season, Presley has blown three or four saves and they decide to go with Abreu. That is definitely a possibility. So he's a guy where you're drafting him with a top 100 ADP, and again, I understand it, but I think it's a really risky investment at the same time. Let's talk about somebody that I honestly don't think we have talked about at all. Actually, maybe we maybe we've talked about him like once or twice this offseason. That's Adbert Alzale, who became the closer for the Cubbies this season. I don't know how expected it really was necessarily. Uh, the Cubs were honestly, my brain is kind of farting on what the Cubs closing situation was projected to be coming into the year. I don't think a hell of a lot of people were really thinking that Alzale was going to take over the job, but he performed really, really admirably. 22 saves over his uh, 58 games, which was 64 innings pitched. It was a 267 ERA, sparkling 21% strikeout minus walk rate for him because you got a 5.1% walk rate, 26% strikeout rate. That was really, really solid. And again, I don't think a lot of people were really expecting this. He threw 13 innings last year. They were good innings, right? 338 ERA. He had great strikeout and walk numbers. I personally wasn't really expecting this to happen. He was more of a converted starter. Again, if you remember in 2021, he started 21 games for the Cubbies. And I mean, at this point, it looks like he is their guy. He looks like he is going to be the guy closing games for them heading into next year. I don't look at that pen and see a hell of a lot of competition. Mark Leiter at times was good this year. Julian Merriweather has some potential maybe, but I don't think either of those guys are necessarily going to be um, taking away save opportunities from Alzale. I would expect him to get the bulk of the opportunities. Now, I don't think the skills are necessarily as high as some of the other closers that we have talked about, but the price isn't as high either, and I think that's where you have to start taking a look at him. Right, He's not going to give you the same level of strikeout security as a lot of these other back-end relievers are. 26.5% strikeout rate on the whole is pretty good, but for a closer... You know, he's about a strikeout per inning. It was 64 innings this year, 67 strikeouts. And for his career, I mean, that's generally who he has been as a starter, as a reliever. You're talking 236 innings, 256 Ks. So a slight plus, but considering what you're usually getting out of a reliever, not a massive plus. 
Now, the projections are expecting 31 saves. They think that he'll be the full-time closer with a 362 ERA, which he'll absolutely take, and a 1.18 whip, which is projected to go up. But from a 102, I mean, I don't know, again, that we were really expecting this from Alzale. It was more of a breakout kind of season for him where things were still getting worked out. And I think that, you know, sometimes you can overrun uh, the metrics a little bit in this type of season, especially as a reliever, right, when there's not a massive sample size, 64 innings. Now, he didn't run away with them. He was about a run better than his XFIP. He was about half a run better than his Sierra at 321. Still really, really good skills, but you're getting him at a discounted rate of 127 on ADP. He's ranging from 80 to 260. Now, that 260 is not going to be very commonplace. That is one or two drafts. There's only been two drafts, actually, all draft season, where he's gone outside of the top 200. You're usually getting him just outside of the top 100 there, 120 to 140 kind of range, and I absolutely love it. At this point, I don't think there's a hell of a lot of competition that's going to be coming into town, right? Josh Hader's the only real closer on the market. Haven't heard him linked really with anybody, but not with the Cubs. I don't think that that makes sense for him to go to the Cubs when they have a guy like Alzale that I don't think they're paying a hell of a lot right now. Alzale is an arbitration guy. I don't, I don't think he's making a hell of a lot of money at all. No reason to go out there and pay Josh Hader. I think that Alzale is going to be the guy, and he is one of those one of those guys that you can target outside of the top 100. There's not a lot of everyday closers you can get. And again, you're getting him there because, I don't know, I think the Cubs situation is kind of in flux. Bellinger was a big part of their offense. He's going to be gone. I think there's some worry about what the starting rotation is going to be able to give them. I think they're not going to be an amazing team, and that might kind of suppress the cost to go along with kind of the limited strikeouts, the fact that it wasn't like a 40-save season for him. It wasn't a massive blow-up. It was 22 saves, right? I don't know that people are going to be firing him up draft boards. 80 at the minimum pick, it does feel maybe a little steep, but I don't think you're paying that terribly often, right? Inside of the top 100, you're talking about one, two, three, four. Four drafts, all of draft season, where he's gone inside the top 100. So you're getting him later than a lot of those other closers. And I think that even though you're getting a you know slightly reduced strikeout number, you're still going to be able to bank on a lot of saves from him. And there's a lot of value to be had in that kind of player. Let's move on to Pete Fairbanks. I've, I've heard also that's – I don't know if it's Pete or Peter because I think sometimes uh, – I don't know. I heard that he wants to be called Peter, but I, who knows? I, he's listed as Pete Fairbanks on all the fantasy sites. We've talked about him a little bit because I've already mentioned him as being one of my favorite ADP values of the season. Another guy who's going outside of the top 100 picks, not to the same extent as Alzale, uh, 101.8 is his ADP, 67 on the minimum, 229 on the maximum. Again, I don't know where that came from. That was one random draft where he just went way late. Every other draft, you know, the max pick is you know, at late latest, about 150. Now, Fairbanks, the last couple seasons when he's been out there has been just electric. In 2022, it was 24 games. To, a t- uh, to the tune of a 1.13 ERA with a 1.12 XFIP, 0.86 FIP. He was just that good. Now this season, he only threw 45 innings, and that re- resulted in 25 saves, 49 games pitched. He did miss some time with injury, uh, of course, but he still gave you 25 saves. That's not something that I think you can really expect a lot of the time. Uh, to have that kind of save to innings pitch ratio where you're averaging, you know, more than a save every other inning pitch. That's not, you know, really going to be happening a lot of the time, I don't think. But again, Tampa is an excellent team. They're going to win 90-some-odd games. And again, I know they're being rumored to be trading everybody, Paredes and Rosarena and Glass now. Even if that happens, it's hard to think that Tampa's not going to still find a way to win 90 games. So I think Fairbanks, you know, he's healthy going into the year. He will have that job, absolutely. The skills are are so clearly there. 37% strikeout rate. Even with the 10% walk rate he had, 
you'll take that considering the strikeouts he's given you. It's still a 26.1% strikeout minus walk. He gave you a 258 ERA. He's projected for a 296 ERA with 30 saves next year with a 1.12 whip. He is one of the better relievers in the projections in the entire pool. And you're getting him outside of the top 100 picks, I think, because there is some injury concern and also because Tampa does some funky things sometimes. Maybe it'll be Jason Adam, maybe a guy we mentioned yesterday, Colin Poche. Maybe he'll be used occasionally here and there if it's like a lefty matchup. But I think you're still getting a really good value for Fairbanks. You're getting great strikeouts. You're getting great ratios, and you're getting great save numbers. You should be getting all of those, assuming that he is able to go out there and give you a healthy season. And considering he's missed some time the last couple of years, I understand people being kind of worried about that. I got a good feeling about Fairbanks this year. I think that this is the year where he is generally able to stay healthy, give you 55, 60 innings pitched with close to 30 saves, if not 30-plus, to go along with 35, 37% K rate and great ratios. Uh, I have no problem at all. 45 innings last year, 68 strikeouts, right? Like, I have no problem at all taking him where he's going, which is outside of the top 100 picks. I wouldn't mind going Fairbanks, Alzale. If you really want to punt saves, you go for those two guys. I think you could really be cooking with gas. Let's move on, though, and talk Clay Holmes. Clay Holmes was a very troubling guy this year, especially early in the season. There were times when the Yankees were not using him as the closer, specifically early in the year. Eventually, that did settle down, and he ended up with 24 saves, and he was the guy. But if you remember, especially if you rostered him, there was a time in, I think it was about you know May, maybe June-ish, where he was getting like seventh, eighth inning, sometimes the sixth inning, and it was really frustrating. A lot of people would have dropped him from their fantasy teams. But if you held on, you ended up with a 286 ERA, those 24 saves, four victories, and a 1.17 whip. He's going to be the closer in New York, right? I, I don't know that there is going to be any kind of move from the Yankees to bring in uh, Hater. I think Hater's really the only guy, right? There's nobody else who's sitting on the market, unless I'm blatantly missing somebody, that is going to come in potentially to any organization and disrupt the save structure as currently is. Holmes is going to be the guy. It's not going to be Loisega or Conley or Ian Hamilton, Scott Afros. None of these guys are going to – maybe they'll take one save here or there, but it is going to be Clay Holmes. And now you're looking at a Yankee team that has Juan Soto, that has probably a healthy Aaron Judge heading into the year. It looks like a healthy Anthony Rizzo, potentially a healthy Carlos Rodon. I mean, this is a team that could go out there and potentially win 100 games for you, and you might see Clay Holmes end up with like 35, 37 saves. The projections are really good for him, 324 ERA. The whip is a little high at 1.26, but I think you'll take that with 32 saves and an ERA that is close to three. Now, Clay Holmes, another guy that is not really required to like pay up a huge price for him this season, 122. He's another one of these value type of closers. Again, minimum is 71, maximum 204. You're generally getting him in that ADP range of like 120 to 140. I don't know why you would not take him. Like, unless you've already invested early picks in Hayter and Diaz or something, which I don't think is necessary. I really don't. Then I think every team could use one of these guys, like a Clay Holmes or a Fairbanks or an Alzale. They make perfect sense to speculate on. Not even speculate. You're, you're getting pretty close to a sure thing a lot cheaper than you are getting those Presleys and those Seawalls. You're getting younger pitchers for the most part who have more assured roles. Skills are still really good, and the projections are better. And they're cheaper because they're not as known commodities, right? Fairbanks, Alzale, and Holmes are not the flashy names. Like we just saw Paul Seawall pitching in the World Series, albeit it wasn't amazing. Um, Ryan Presley has been a well-known name for a long time, and obviously Hayter and Diaz and these guys are all – you know, going, I think, higher because of name value more than anything else. You know, and I love those guys, right? I, I love Josh Hader. I think he's amazing, and I wouldn't be opposed to drafting him. But I also don't think you really need to, the way that the draft board is shaken out at this point in time. You don't need to really be reaching high on these closers when there are great guys sitting past pick 100. These last three guys, 
all excellent options that we've mentioned past pick 100. Let's talk about another guy who I think is a really good value, and that's Ryan Helsley. Ryan Helsley missed time, and he was one of the few closers that you actually drafted with a, a fairly high investment last year who didn't fully pay off for you, and that was only really because he missed time, right? He only threw 36 innings, and yet that was still 14 saves with a 245 ERA, 35% strikeout rate. He was a god, and he was never going to be the same level of god that he was in 2022, right, where he was a 125 ERA. You were looking at a 31% strikeout minus walk rate. I don't think that was really ever going to be sustainable, but he still showed you, especially after he came back from that injury, how good he can be, right? In the second half, 11 innings. I know it's only 11 innings. A .77 ERA, 19 strikeouts. One earned run allowed, one zero eight batting average against. He was the same guy that you thought you were drafting with that high investment last season. He is going to be the closer. Again, he's going to be the closer in St. Louis. I don't see there being anybody, you know, and I, I know that there's always talk about St. Louis and maybe they're going to use different guys, right? I don't see a reason why it wouldn't be Helsley. I don't want to hear Gallegos' name mentioned again because I don't think that he is really that great. He Occasionally, Gallegos can go out there and give you good innings, but Helsley, I think, is a lot more consistent. He's a younger guy. I think the stuff is just way better, and there shouldn't be any question that Helsley will be the guy getting the lion's share of those saves next year. I have him on both of the teams that I've drafted so far. I just think that the price, especially when I was drafting him, was way too low, and even now, 100 on the dot. 100.7 is the ADP. I just don't see why he is being pushed down a lot more than, you know, why is he going later than Presley? Why is he going later than Seawald? I know it's only about a round, but I think the skills are better. I think the situation is more clear that he is 100% the guy. There's nobody who is going to be you know given that chance ahead of him. I don't see why he is being pushed down. Again, this is like the value closer section. Alzale, Fairbanks, Holmes, Helsley. These guys are all going way too late, in my opinion. And there's a couple other guys, like the rest of this list, I think they're all really great values. Outside of Seawald and Presley, who I was kind of poo-pooing at the beginning of the show, I think all these guys are going to be very, very solid values where they are going. The price of pitching usually does go up closer to draft season. That tends to be more for starters, but you might even see these guys go up around, and that's okay. <clears throat> because you'll see probably Presley and Seawald go up around as well, and let's say they're going in the 70s. And then you'll be okay taking a Fairbanks, even if it's at pick 94, because all those other guys will be off the board and you'll be getting still a great value. Same goes for Helsley, same goes for Holmes. I think all these guys are going to be excellent, excellent values next season. Let's talk Kenley Jansen. Kenley Jansen is a little bit more of a troubling one because obviously the age, because obviously last season was not such a great year for him. Now, he still gave you 29 saves. He still gave you a 363 ERA, which is not terrible. But it was a 128 whip, which was the highest we have literally ever seen from Kenley Jansen. 128 whip, 237 batting average against was also the highest we've ever seen. The strikeout rate fell below 30% for the first time, and that walk rate went up a little bit to 9%. So we have some red flags right off the bat. <coughs> Excuse me. We also have the projections for next year, which have him at a 410 ERA and a 126 whip. Not really getting that whip any better ERA progressing even slightly farther than we saw these last couple seasons. You know, he's always been a guy who, well, pretty much always been a guy who's a sub-3 ERA, maybe just over 3. These last two years of 3-3-8 and 3-6-3 have really not been that great. But, again, we have a situation where we are just running into some ADP value here because Kenley Jansen, again, I, I don't love him, and he's probably the least favorite of those guys that we've mentioned, those previous five value names, five including him. But you're getting him at pick 122. And I think at that point, I'm okay with it because you are, again, getting a guy who doesn't have any competition for that closer role in Boston. He is going to be 
the everyday clothes are getting the vast majority of those opportunities. I know Chris Martin was real good this year. I know they've used Schreiber in the past. I don't know. There's a couple of guys that they could potentially go to. But you got to look at the track record with Kenley Jansen, and you also got to look at the money, right? He's making $16 million this season. Kenley Jansen has been the regular full-time closer every season of his career going back to 2012. I just don't – it's a similar situation to Craig Kimbrell, right? If he is on a roster and he's playing for that team, he's closing. There's not going to be an opportunity unless they go out and make some, some big acquisition, which they're not. Boston, I think, knows they're not going to be terribly competitive in the American League East this year. I think they're going to relatively remain kind of status quo, especially with Jansen. There's nothing they can really do there. They've given him the contract. They've got one more year. He might as well close, and he will close, unless he is absolute trash. And, I mean, he probably won't be amazing, but I think he'll still be fine. He's still going to give you probably 25 to 30 saves. It might not be with the same level of ERA assurance and whip assurance that you can get from some of those other guys. But if you are just looking for saves, if you feel pretty good about the ratio guys you've built up earlier in your draft, and you know you didn't take a Hater, you didn't take a Williams or a Diaz, I think Kenley Jansen makes a lot of sense at the back end of that kind of value range as well. You're getting him a little bit later than those other guys, generally speaking. About the same range as Alzale, but about a round later than Fairbanks and Helsley. I, I am okay with it. I'm not going to be like pushing him up dramatically. I think he's fine. Um, but I also I also think that there is value to be had in that guy who's going to give you similar kind of numbers to what you're getting 40, 50 picks earlier. And that's the whole name of the game at this point is just trying to find that value uh, later on in the draft, trying to find those same stats that you're going to be able to kind of get and um, not have to pay the same price for it, essentially. Let's talk about Andres Munoz, who we talked about a little bit earlier on the show. Now, there shouldn't be much of a question at this point that Munoz is going to be the full-time closer in Seattle. I know that that's been kind of the only thing holding him back from being a fantasy monster these last couple of seasons is getting the full range on the closer job. Now, even after Seawald was traded this year, they talked about Matt Brash. They talked about Justin Topa as being guys who could potentially take away opportunities. But generally speaking, it was Munoz. He ended up with 13 saves. He gave you a 294 ERA, and he gave you that very, very excellent 31.8% strikeout rate. Now, it wasn't the same level of greatness we saw in 2022, where he had the 32% strikeout minus walk rate, 387 and 6 on the strikeout and walk, respectively. He had a 249 ERA. He had a .89 whip. He was not that same level guy this season. Now, he did also deal with an injury uh, earlier on in the season, and he wasn't you know, given – I don't know if he had that full chance necessarily to show us what he's actually capable of considering he did miss like the whole first half of the season with the injury, uh, only through 16 innings in the first half. But I still think that he is a guy that has that in him, like the capabilities, the skill set overall – in Munoz is that of an elite closer. And again, you're not really paying that elite, elite price tag. He's at least a little expensive at pick 92. And I think, honestly, considering all the value options, I'm not going to be forced into pushing the button on him. I think he's more of a guy where you take him if he falls a little bit. But he has shown the skills as recently as 2022. And even this year, right, in the quote-unquote down year, you're still getting the 32% strikeout rate. You'd hope for the walks to be a little bit better. But overall, you still got a very good season out of him. You still got good production, even in limited innings. You might have held on a long time and had to you know, miss out on some free agents because you were stashing Munoz, which was kind of the shitty thing this year. But I don't think we're going to have to worry about that heading into next season. The projections are for a sub-3 ERA with 25 saves. The strikeouts projected to go back up. Walks projected to go back down a little bit. So I think that... You know, you can feel pretty confident taking him in the 90s, but also considering the value that we have just talked about past pick 100, don't feel obliged to take really any closer inside of the top 100. If you're feeling a guy is falling and, you know, if you're getting 
class A or hater and they're falling to like pick 65 or 70, then that's a different story. But I think a lot of the time um, you don't really have to be so worried about pushing these guys up so far up the board. And honestly, even for class A, uh, I don't even know if that would be enough of a discount for me. He's going around pick 45, 50 on average. It'd have to fall like you know a full round at least for me to really be interested uh, in a lot of those guys up top. Not to say I don't like them, but you can find that value later on down the board. Let's talk about one more guy today, and that'll be Jose Alvarado. Jose Alvarado. Man, we were kind of, again, worried about this whole Philadelphia situation heading into the season because there were so many relief pitchers. There were so many moving parts on that team this past season. Kimbrell and Alvarado, and there was Gregory Soto and Sonia Anthony Dominguez, and we didn't really know who was going to be getting the bulk of the save opportunities. It was Kimbrell for the most part, but now Kimbrell's gone. Now we have Jose Alvarado. He got 10 saves in 41 and a third innings pitch last season. Again, he was a guy who also missed a bit of time. He gave you, when he was healthy, though, a 1.74 ERA and a 1.16 whip with a 26% strikeout minus walk rate, 37% K rate, 10% walk rate. He's a prototypical closer, right? He throws 100 miles an hour. He's got that nice off-speed pitch as well with the slider. That's pretty much the whole repertoire there is the fastball and the slider. Um, you know, great strikeout rate, projected to have a three ERA next season with 23 saves. I think they're kind of selling him a little short on the save number. I don't think Jose Alvarado should be limited to 23 saves. I think that you should see him as the full-time guy there, and you'd probably be able to get, I want to say, you know, 28 to 30 probably. Now, I don't really understand the price on Alvarado. For all of draft season, it's 230. 134 is the minimum and 396 is the maximum pick. Now, that's kind of an outlier, the 396, but generally speaking, like you're not having to pay at all for Alvarado. And I think there is maybe some uncertainty there, but at the same time, like I don't know who else is really going to be given that chance. Soto is not the greatest and neither is Dominguez really. Like they're they're good, but they're not guys who should be challenging Alvarado for the majority of the saves. Now, there might be a handedness thing sometimes where they want to go to a righty with Sir Anthony as opposed to going to Alvarado. But I don't think Gregory Soto, considering he's also a lefty, is going to really compete for that role. I don't think Dominguez is really a closer either, necessarily. I think he's more suited as like a setup guy, middle relief guy. I think that it should be Alvarado here, and I think that he is turning into maybe one of the nicest values that you're going to see all of draft season. He's going to be a full-time closer for a great team. And he's going like 100 picks after most of the other closers. I just, I really don't understand it. I don't think that there's going to be that much competition for him there. Roster resource projecting him as the closer. It's hard to disagree there. Even if it is only 23 saves, you're still getting that so late. Like, why wouldn't you take a chance on that uh, at, at that point, right? Projected 3.02 ERA. You got to love it at that price. I have seen no reason to not want to take a chance on Alvarado, considering what he's shown us the last couple of seasons. But that will do it. We've covered 29 relievers in the last three days. If you guys have missed the previous couple shows, go ahead and catch up again using the Yahoo Player Ranker for the first couple. Today, we're kind of doing more free form, just talking about guys that we didn't talk about in the first couple of shows. So make sure you guys are all caught up there and go catch up on all of our preview shows. We've done every single position now, except for my favorite, which is starting pitcher. We are going to get going on that starting Monday. We're going to be doing our starting pitcher reviews, and that'll kind of take us pretty much to the end of the year. Um, not like fully to the end of the year, but we're going to spend pretty much all of next week on pitching. And then we have one week left of shows for 2023. I'm not sure 100% what those are going to look like. Hopefully we have a lot of moves to talk about because around this time last year, December, January, there was a hell of a lot of free agent moves. There was a lot of trades going on. 
Haven't seen so much of that, but tomorrow we're going to get caught up on the different trades and uh, different signings. We'll talk Tyler O'Neill. We'll talk about Lee going to the Giants, and we'll talk about a couple of other uh, moves that have happened over the last week. Hopefully we get some stuff tonight to add on to that pile as well. But until then, guys, you guys can uh, check me out over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. Ethos Fantasy BB is the website or is the Twitter account where you can find all of our podcasts and everything else posted there. The website is sportsethos.com for you guys to be checking out. But that'll do it, guys. Until tomorrow, take care, have a great night, and cheers. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.